This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. This is episode number 61, and the title of this episode is What Does Son of God Mean in Matthew? Part 1. As always, the Biblical Unitarian Podcast is the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Dustin Smith, and I am your host. What does the title, Son of God, mean when it is linked to Jesus Christ? Is it a title referring to one who is divine, maybe being Yahweh himself? Does the title, Son of God, refer to the post-biblical understanding of God the Son, the second person of the tripersonal God? These are the sort of questions we have been exploring over the last six episodes of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, looking thus far into what Mark and Luke both mean when they portray Jesus as the Son of God. Now it is time to look at the Gospel of Matthew. This episode will begin our exploration into the Gospel of Matthew and how it understands the title Son of God in regard to Jesus. We will begin by looking at Matthew's scriptural citations in regard to Jesus, looking then into Jesus' baptism, looking also at possible links with Abraham's son Isaac, and lastly at how Jesus defines Son of God in the massive and important Sermon on the Mount. We have a lot of exciting material to get through, so let's not waste any more time with introductory matters. Our first point today is looking at Son of God in fulfillment of Scripture. I'm going to read a passage here out of Matthew chapter 2 and verse 15, which says, He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. That's Matthew chapter 2 and verse 15. This passage in Matthew is significant for two foundational reasons. First, it was the very first time Jesus is identified as Son of God. Passage there saying, Out of Egypt I have called my son, in reference to baby Jesus being taken out of Egypt by Mary and Joseph. There, Son of God is a reference to Jesus. Second, This is the first time that Matthew uses his characteristic fulfillment of Scripture formulas within his Gospel. The citation here in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 15 comes from the prophet Hosea, specifically Hosea chapter 11 and verse 1. In Hosea, the Son of God, who was called out of Egypt, was not Jesus. It was actually the nation of Israel. And I would point readers to Exodus chapter 4, verses 22 through 23, where the initial occurrence of the nation of Israel being called Son of God appears in Scripture. Yes, the Israelites who were rescued from Egypt are called Son of God. So for Matthew to use this passage in Hosea in regard to Jesus and to use it in a way that indicates that Jesus is the fulfillment of this passage, points to some very crucial conclusions. It indicates that Jesus is Son of God in a similar manner to Israel as a nation being Son of God, 
both, by the way, are human beings, descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and both functioned in a special relationship with God as sons who were to be obedient to the Father. Second, Matthew regards Jesus as the typological climax of the nation of Israel. Israel as Son of God was a type of the Messianic Son of God who was to come. Third, since it was thoroughly Jewish to understand the royal title Son of God as a Messianic reference, Matthew also seems to be portraying Jesus as the Messianic Son of God who represents his people, the Son of God as the obedient nation of Israel. Fourth, it would not be a stretch to say that Matthew portrays Jesus as the embodiment or even the incarnation of Israel. In sum, the initial quotation of Matthew regards Jesus as Son of God like the nation of human Israelites that were also called Son of God. The title Son of God here in reference to Jesus has more to do with humanity than with any sort of divinity. Our second point today is looking at Son of God in solidarity with the baptized Jews. So I'm going to read here a variety of verses from Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now in those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The passage goes on and it says, Then Jerusalem was going out to him and all Judea, and all the district around the Jordan, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. The passage continues and it says, Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John, to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answering said to him, Permit it at this time. For in this way, it will be fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lightning on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. That's Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 2 verses 5 through 6, and verses 13 through 17. Now, I've argued extensively in the baptism accounts within Mark and Luke in previous episodes of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast that the voice from heaven declaring Jesus to be Son of God is a crucially important element in the story of Jesus' life. Nothing has changed in Matthew's retelling of the baptism of Jesus. For Matthew, this story, this pericope within the narrative is extremely important in identifying Jesus as the vocational Son of God. The voice from heaven announces that the newly baptized Jesus is the Son of God in allusion to Psalm chapter 2 and verse 7, where the Son of God referred to the anointed and empowered King. Now, Matthew has carefully placed the baptism of Jesus right after the retelling of John the Baptist's preaching that the dawning kingdom of God demands repentance and submission to water baptism. When asked by John in regard to why getting baptized was necessary, 
Jesus responded by saying that it was to fulfill all righteousness. Those baptized by John did so as a reflection of their repentance. But Jesus shows solidarity with these hearers by submitting to the water baptism, indicating that this baptized Son of God, the Messianic King, closely associates himself with faithful humanity. In other words, Jesus submitting to the baptism that all Israel was summoned to do in repentance and in fulfillment of righteousness is a way of Jesus identifying and showing solidarity with faithful humanity. Our third point today is looking at Son of God as the new Isaac. Remember, Isaac was one of the sons of Abraham. We have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as the famous patriarchs of the Jewish people, the famous patriarchs of the book of Genesis. So in Matthew 3 and verse 17, we have the voice out of heaven saying, This is my beloved son. And in Greek, the phrase is, Utos estin o eos mu o agapitos. So that's there, the Greek out of Matthew chapter 3 and verse 17. But the interesting thing is that this phrase, the beloved son, also appears in Genesis chapter 22, which is the episode of Abraham offering his son Isaac. In fact, in the Septuagint of both Genesis 22 verse 2 and Genesis 22 verse 12, we have the same phrase, the phrase beloved son, the phrase that Matthew seems to use also here in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 17. I posted in the show notes the Greek phrase from both the Septuagint of Genesis 22 and Matthew chapter 3 and verse 17 for readers who know Greek can look and see the deliberate connections therein. So Matthew makes a lot of connections between the Abraham and Isaac story of Genesis 22 and the baptism of Jesus here in Matthew chapter 3. There is a verbal parallel to the description of the highlighted son in both accounts. Both Isaac and Jesus are described with the same Greek phrase, the beloved son. Furthermore, Both accounts have a voice from heaven that gives an authoritative guiding in the story. The voice from heaven announces that Jesus is the newly baptized Son of God, and the voice from heaven is the one that directs Abraham in the story with the sacrifice of Isaac. In fact, the voice from heaven appears twice in the Genesis 22 story. Also, like the other synoptic counterparts, Matthew makes it a significant point in his narrative that the royal son of God will be a rejected and killed figure, a fate that Jesus willingly accepts in obedience to the plan of God. Isaac was also a figure destined to die in Genesis chapter 22, and Abraham moved forward in the narrative in obedience to the plan of God. Lastly, Isaac was a son of Abraham, And John the Baptist indicated that those who submitted to the repentance-oriented waters of baptism were the true sons of Abraham. So Matthew's story of the baptized Son of God, declared to be the beloved Son, accompanied with the voice from heaven, along with the themes of obedience, death, and the identity of the Son of Abraham, 
all point to a deliberate recalling of the Isaac story. This again demonstrates that Matthew regards Jesus, the Son of God, as a figure who shows solidarity with humanity, with the people of God. And in this story, particularly with those who are subjected to mortality, rather than identifying Son of God with divine or pre-existent themes. So while it is often not appreciated or even recognized in readings of Matthew, Jesus here is the new Isaac. And for Isaac to be the type of Jesus who is to come means that Jesus is fulfilling the type of an obedient human being that was destined to die. Our fourth point today is looking at Son of God in solidarity with Jesus' followers. Now, without taking time to rehash the arguments presented in our episodes on Luke's gospel, Matthew, in a similar way, depicts Jesus as the faithful Israelite Son of God during the temptations in the wilderness, when compared with the unfaithful Son of God nation of Israel in their wilderness temptations. This happens in Matthew chapter 4 and, of course, in Luke chapter 4. In other words, the temptation narrative within Matthew further associates Jesus in solidarity with the nation of Israel, with Son of God, as Matthew has already indicated with the first fulfillment quotation from Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, out of Egypt I have called my son. So when we move to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, and we see Jesus again associating himself with human sons of God, this is not something that is new in Matthew's gospel. It's something that Matthew has already laid the groundwork for in Matthew chapter 2 and, of course, in the temptation narratives in Matthew chapter 4. So we can see in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus identifies his faithful followers, the people of God, as defined by those in obedience to Jesus as sons of God. Check out Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9. Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Their sons of God there are identified with the faithful followers of Jesus, demonstrating the act of making and doing peace. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9. We can also see in Matthew chapter 5, verses 44 through 45, where Jesus says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Notice that the qualifier to being sons of God, sons of the Father who is in heaven, is set on the prerequisite of those who are faithfully loving their enemies and praying for those who persecute them. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus describes God to his listeners as your father in a variety of places and in a high frequency of occurrences. And so it seems to be a deliberate emphasis within the Sermon on the Mount, within Matthew chapters 5 through 7. So let's look at the occurrences to where the people of God understand God as their father. And of course, if God is the father, that means that the children are sons of God. So look here at how the disciples of Jesus are described in relationship to God as father. Matthew 5 and verse 16 indicates where Jesus says, let your light shine so they may see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven. That's Matthew 5 and verse 16. 
Jesus goes on, of course, we saw loving your enemies so that you may be sons of your father. In Matthew 5, verses 44 through 45, Matthew 5 goes on, you are to be mature or complete as your heavenly father is mature and complete in Matthew 5 and verse 48. So again, the relationship between the sons of God, the faithful followers, are described with God as their father. Matthew chapter 6 begins, Don't practice your righteousness before others, otherwise you have no reward with your father who is in heaven. Matthew 6 and verse 1. We continue to see this phrase that your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. That is repeated in Matthew 6 and verse 4, verse 6, and also verse 18. Of course, Jesus says that your father knows what you need in Matthew 6 and verse 8. Jesus identifies both the father of the disciples and the father of Jesus as, quote, our father who is in heaven in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. This is crucially significant because Jesus identifies himself with the other sons of God as those who share the same father. They share the same father and they describe it as our father. The father of Jesus is also the father of the disciples. Jesus says, your heavenly father is the one that feeds the birds in 6 verse 26. And your heavenly father knows that you need all these things in 6 and verse 32. And of course, in 7 verse 11, Jesus says, your father who is in heaven will give what is good to those who ask. So we can see there that for the sons of God, as defined as the obedient and faithful followers of Jesus, have a father. That father is God. And so sons of God there describes a human role of those who are faithful and loyal to the father who is in heaven. Jesus, of course, calls God my father in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21. So, of course, it's not just the Father, it is the Father of Jesus, meaning Jesus is Son of God. And, of course, Jesus already grouped himself with his followers in the teaching of the Lord's Prayer, where the prayer says, Our Father. So, for Matthew, the identity of the obedient people of God is bound in their role as the sons of God, a role with which Jesus shows solidarity by highlighting the important fact that they each share the same God, namely the Father who is in heaven. True sonship is defined by faithful obedience to the Father, as demonstrated and exemplified by Jesus himself, rather than being a matter of Jewish descent. It's not a matter of just being a child of Abraham, a lineal Jewish descendant, to be the true Son of God, you have to be one who is obedient to the Father who is in heaven. Son of God here is a term that has far more to do with being a faithful human being than it has to do with being God or being some sort of pre-existent being from heaven. So, in conclusion, we have observed that Matthew puts much effort into portraying the manner in which Jesus is the Son of God in solidarity with humanity. Jesus is the embodiment of the nation of Israel, both of whom were called out of Egypt as Son of God. Jesus identifies with the baptized Jews as the obedient Son of God. In fact, 
Matthew orders his retelling of John's preaching and Jesus' submission to baptism with deliberate echoes of Abraham's offering of his son Isaac, making Jesus into the new Isaac. Lastly, the Sermon on the Mount closely links the manner in which Jesus is Son of God with the faithful people of God, who are also described as Son of God, further showing solidarity with humanity. And all the data explored, Son of God is a title for Jesus that is bursting with links to humanity, rather than linking Jesus with Yahweh. In fact, none of the episodes would make any sense if Son of God was a title referring to God himself. God didn't call God out of Egypt. That is nonsensical. The voice from heaven is not the same as the Son of God baptized in solidarity with Israel. Isaac is not a type of God who is to come. And the Sermon on the Mount repeatedly stresses that God is the Father who is in heaven and that his sons are those who are faithful to him as defined by Jesus, the climactic and messianic Son of God. Our study of Son of God in Matthew's Gospel will cover two more planned episodes, so be sure to subscribe if you don't want to miss out on these new releases. If you enjoy the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, please consider supporting us with a small donation. You can check out this episode's description for a PayPal link, and there's a direct link also in the show notes. You can access the Biblical Unitarian Podcast in a variety of media formats. You can check it out on Spotify. You can check it out on iTunes. And, of course, you can listen to it online at biblicalunitarianpodcast.podbean.com. We also have a Facebook group if you want to discuss the various podcast episodes. Just go to your Facebook search window and type in Biblical Unitarian Podcast and send a request. We'd be happy to have you. Thank you so much for listening to us. Again, my name is Dustin Smith. Until next time, you folks take care.